If you got your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 15. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We're going to read verses um, 11 through 24 this morning. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. If you have the means and you're able, we like to stand just to give reverence to uh, reading the Word of God. If you need to remain seated, please do so. It's okay. Luke chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into these fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go any further. please. Father, we come to You this morning, and Lord, we want to thank You that um, Lord, today... There is no better Father than You. Father, I thank You today that, um, Lord, You have called us and adopted us to be Your children. And Father, I just, um, I just stand in awe of that this morning, why in the world You would ever choose anyone like me. But Father, I thank You this morning that You have called me to be Yours and that, um, Father, I was once dead, but I'm now alive. And Father, I thank You. And Lord, I know it is only because of You. Father, I can take no credit for anything. Father, I just thank You so much for what You've done in, in my life and every life that's here that You've called to be Your child this morning. Father, I pray this morning that You would help us to, um, to celebrate You first and foremost. But Father, to celebrate the, the uh, images of You that You gave us in our, in our fathers and the male figures that You have put in our life to, um, Lord, to be Your your representation, to be the image of who You are to Your children. 
So Father, I pray this morning that You can help us to learn lessons from You. Father, I pray, God, that um, Lord, we would just um, understand that You're perfect and we're not. But Lord, You have called us to imitate You, to be more like You. And so Father, I pray this morning that You would help us to see Your example, to follow it. And Father, where we fall short, to come to You for mercy and grace that You offer so freely. And so Father, we just ask that You would accomplish that purpose this Father's Day for us. We love You. We praise You. We ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, um, as we celebrate Father's Day, I basically have three things that I want to accomplish this morning. The first thing is I hope to give every father here some examples of the perfect father, which we're going to see in this story right here. This father that we're reading about is a picture and a representation of the Heavenly Father and the way He is toward His um, unfaithful children, if you will. And so I want to see examples this morning that you and I can put on so that we can, uh, we can um, image Him uh, instead of um, imaging ourselves in the sinfulness that we are. That's the first goal. The second goal I'd like to accomplish is I want to be able to help you celebrate the fathers that you have or, or, or have had. I know today's a tough day for, for our family. Of course, um, uh, we just lost Eddie just a few weeks ago, and so um, it's still fresh. But at the same time, God gave us such a gift in Him, and so He was such a good Father. And so today, I want to be able to, in the midst of our tears, to be able to celebrate and to be able to be thankful for what God gave us in Him. The same way with my dad. My dad passed away, I think it's been four, four or five years now, I believe. And, um, and so um, the same way, not a perfect dad, but a good dad. And, and I want to be able to, to remember some of the examples that, that he showed me as he imitated our Heavenly Father. And I want to be able to celebrate him today. And then lastly, I want to be able to offer encouragement to his fathers this morning that fall so far short. Got any of those in here this morning? Um, you know, we're sinners. Man, we fail so miserably. And so as I look at the perfect example of a father and I point out to you the things that I see in here, I want you to know that yes, you're probably going to go, well, I missed the mark on this one. I missed the mark on this one. I missed the mark on this one. But at the same time, I want you to understand that you're also the prodigal child here, that your heavenly father that when He sees you coming to repent of your sin, to confess your sin and coming home, He gets up and runs to meet you before you even get to Him. And He has mercy and grace to offer for all who will repent and confess. And it brings our Father great joy when His wayward children see the error of their way and they turn and come back to Him. And so that's my third goal this morning is that it will lead you to repentance and that you will be a better father because of what you see in our Heavenly Father this morning. First, I want to build just a little bit of context for you so that you see what this story is about. Now, most of the time, we focus on the prodigal child here, right? Most of the time, preachers spend their time and their focus is on the mistakes that the son makes and all that he's done. That's not what we're going to do this morning. Because the truth of the matter is, this parable is actually more about the father than it is about the wayward child. And I'll prove it to you. First off, I want you to notice in Luke chapter 15, same chapter, verse 1. Look what it says here. 
Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So here's the context. Jesus is having tax collectors. Now tax collectors were usually Jewish people as well. The Romans put them in place because they were Jews that could go and collect taxes from the Jews for the Roman Empire. And they paid them well to do this, but because of this, they became known as the enemy of the Jews. So even though they were Jews, they hated them. They were sinners, if you will. And so all these tax collectors and all these sinners, as they called them, they gathered around Jesus and Jesus received them. Jesus ate with them. Jesus embraced them, if you will. And so when the Pharisees and the scribes, who were supposedly the children of God, the Jewish people, when they saw this, they said to themselves, now if Jesus were really a man of God, He wouldn't be receiving these people. They're sinners. He would separate Himself from these kind of people. And so in light of that context, Jesus tells three stories. The first story he tells comes in verse, uh, verses 3 through uh, 7. And I'm not going to read the whole story. I'll just summarize it for you. He says, guys, I want you to think like a shepherd. What man among you has, if he has a hundred sheep, but he loses one sheep? What man among you, what shepherd, will not leave the ninety-nine in a safe place and go out and search diligently until he finds the one? And the answer to that is... Every shepherd. If they have a hundred sheep and they go, well, I've got 99, I'm not really worried about the one. No. Um, a few days ago, uh, Letha called and she said, um, I think we got a cow down. And so um, I called Chastity and I said, hey, I need you to go and check because I was at work and I said, I want you to go see if, um, if we're missing a cow, if the cow is down. And she went out there and she come back and she said, no, we've got 13. Well, what do you think I would have done if she came back and said, we've only got 12? I'm coming home to find the one. It's just what, it's just what you do. All right. And so any man, any shepherd among you, if you have a hundred sheep and there's one missing, you are going to go and look until you find that one. And so he says to them, when this shepherd finds that one, he puts it on his shoulders and he comes home and he calls up his friends and his neighbors and he says, Hey, y'all come and celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. And so look at verse 7, if you will, and you'll see what he's trying to get across here. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous person who needs no repentance. So here's the point of this story. The joy... That happens where? In heaven. So again, what he's talking about here is the joy, of, and who is the shepherd? The Father. And so what he sees here is the Father has such a joy whenever a sinner repents and comes home. No matter how bad they were or how not bad they thought they were. When they see that they were wayward and they come home, the Father rejoices. So that's the point, right? Alright, the next story he tells begins in verse 8. He says, okay, now I need you to think like a woman. <laughs> now I know this is hard for some of us in here, but 
I need you to think like a woman that, and this, this woman had 10 silver coins. Now, this is not a lot of money. She needs all 10 of these silver coins. This is what she does to provide for her family. And so she has 10 silver coins, but she loses one. This is a big issue. And she pulls out her light, she pulls out her broom, and she sweeps everything. She searches diligently until she finds this one coin. And then notice what it says in verse, um, in verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. So again, the theme of this is what? The joy, right? The joy of finding the lost one. Now keep going. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then verse 10. Just so, or in the same way I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not stadiums of sinners. One sinner who repents. When the one lost is found, there is joy before the angels. You know who it is that sits before the angels? The Father. So again, the point here is, the first story is the reason why Jesus is seeking these tax collectors and these sinners is because the Father wants them to be found. And so when they are found and they repent from their sin, the Father rejoices. The same story with the woman and her coins. And then finally he gets to the third story. And the third story, he actually includes a father figure and two sons. All right, now I'll summarize this story for you very quickly. In this story right here, we see the father has two sons. The younger son comes to him and what does he say to him? I want my inheritance when? Now. Now when do you normally get the inheritance? So basically, what is the son saying to the father right now? Your inheritance is more important than you, and I wish you were what? That's exactly what this son is saying to this father. Now, how much worse can a sinner be than a sinner that stands before God and says, Hey, I don't want you. I want the stuff that you have, and I wish you were dead. So Jesus' point here is, I'm telling you about the worst child there is. Just so you know that if the father can rejoice over the worst child there is, is there anyone here this morning that he does not rejoice over when they repent and come home? No, there's not. So this son comes and he says, I want my part of the inheritance right now. And I'm not going to go into all the details of it, uh, who gets what, but he gets a portion of this inheritance. And guess what the father does? He gives it to him. All right? The son leaves and he goes off into a far country and he wastes every penny with what we have come to know today as prodigal living or wasteful or reckless living. That's what the word prodigal means. And so he wastes every penny and he has nothing left. A severe famine rises up and he ends up homeless with absolutely nothing. And he ends up in a hog pen. Now to a Jew, do you understand what it meant to end up in a hog pen? In other words, there is no worse scenario than what this son has got himself into. I don't care where your children have got themselves. I don't care where you have gotten yourself in your life. 
there is no worse place than what Jesus is describing right here for a child of a Jew. Alright? So he's in a hog pen. And he would love nothing more than to eat the food that they bring to the hogs. But guess what? They won't let him eat it. He gets just a little bit to feed the hogs, but he can't even eat that food. He is in a terrible, terrible place. But then, the Bible says he comes to himself. He comes to his senses. And he's in the hog pit. And how many of you know that many times... God has to let us get to the absolute lowest level in our life before we ever truly look up and realize, I only have one place to turn. And He came to His senses. And what makes Him come to His senses is He remembers His Father's goodness. He actually says to Himself, how many of my Father's hired servants, not His children, how many of His hired servants have bread and, and even more to spare? But yet here I perish with hunger. So this memory says, i tell you what I'm going to do. I know my Father's goodness. I'm going to get up from here and I'm going to go back to my Father. And I'm going to say to my Father, Father, I've messed up. <laughs> I have messed up bad. I've sinned before you. I've sinned before heaven. And if you'll just make me like one of your hired servants, that's all I care. I'll just be your hired servant and, and, and that's good enough for me. I don't, I, I, I don't deserve anything. I have forfeited every right to even be a family member anymore. I know I don't even deserve to be a son. But if you'll just let me be a hired member, I'll do whatever you ask of me. And you know, he gets up and he comes home. And on the way home, he don't even get there. The Bible says that from a long way off, the father sees his son. And you know what the father does? He jumps up and he runs. And he runs out and he meets his son and he grabs him and he embraces him and he kisses him and he goes and his, and his son starts trying to go through the spill. Father, I've messed up so bad and if you'll just make me one of your hired servants... And the father never says anything. The only thing he says is, Hey, servants, go get the finest robe that we have and put on my son. Go get the, the ring, the family ring, the signet ring that, that represents the family name. Go get that ring and put it on my son. Go get shoes and put on his feet because sons wear shoes. They don't walk around barefoot. Go get the fattest calf that we have and you kill this calf and let's celebrate together because my son that was dead has come home and he is now alive. Let me tell you something. They had had a funeral for this dude because as far as they were concerned, he really was dead. He was dead. And now the joy of his son being home. Can you imagine that father's joy right now? That is the joy that Jesus describes when He is trying to help them understand how much the Father loves to see a sinner come home, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad they have been. And so, with that story, I want to focus on the Father right now, and I want to show you some examples this morning for all you fathers, pay attention. Because there is no greater example than the perfect Father right here, okay? And you can put these things into practice to make sure that you are fulfilling your responsibility. 
Alright, so the first thing comes from verse 12, and this is what the first point is. This father is a provider for his family. He is a provider for his family. Now I understand we lived in a cursed world, and there's health issues, and there's all kind of things that, that try to hinder uh, us as fathers and husbands from being the primary providers. But let me explain something to you. God created you as the male figure to be the primary provider for your household. And that's just the truth. Now, the woman He created as your helpmate. She does help. But you are the primary provider. And what we see in here is this is what this father has done. Look at verse 12 with me again. Luke 15. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided whose property? His property. This father has worked very hard to make sure that he is able to provide for his children. Now today, unfortunately, because of our sinfulness, and I, I'm sorry if I call some of you out this morning, I'm not trying to make you feel less of a man or smaller again. I understand there are some legitimate reasons for why you cannot be a primary provider, and there are means there to help. I get situations like that. But for the most part, you know, I grew up with a dad that um, my mom... She didn't have to, but there was four of us kids, so she stayed home with us. And um, she, she used to work um, as an accountant or something at Martin College, I believe, just like my wife does today. But um, she, um, that's what she did before she had kids. But then when she had kids, she just stayed home and she raised us. Again, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been right for her to go to work. It very well would have been just fine. She's the helpmate. However they decided to do that is absolutely fine. But my dad was the one. He was going to always be getting up. He was going to be a farmer. He was going to be a, um, a supervisor at the factory at American Magato. And he worked all the time to make sure. And the truth of the matter is, he enjoyed fishing and a few other things like that. But everything he did was for, it was for us. It was to make sure we weren't rich by any means. But we had everything we needed. We never went without anything. Mr. Eddie Smith, I remember. The truth of the matter is I have never met anybody else in my life that probably should have been on disability any more than he should have. That's just the facts. If you knew the health that he had, you'll understand. I've seen him go to work with two catheters coming down going and bags on both legs. And I work up at the water plant, and he was down here at the distribution warehouse, another part of the water department, and he didn't see me up there, but I would be out on the, the basins checking my water, and I would look down, and there Eddie is out there. I mean, and he's just walking slow, just moving slow. But, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, why are you not at home? Why are you not collecting something? What, why are you doing this? Let me explain to you why. Because he understands that he had a responsibility. And while would it have been right for him to have done that? Why, well, yeah, it would have been right. But in his mind, I have a responsibility to provide for my family. And because of that, 
He did everything in His power, even in His sickness. How many of us today, if our finger hurts, we call in sick? Come on. Y'all don't want to answer me today, do you? <laughs> Chastity said, I preached online last week. Y'all remember that, all right? And so the truth of it is, is that, you know, today we, and, and, and I hate to even say it like this, but we're raising so many sissy men today. I hate to see what men have become today. Most men, a lot of today, are more like women than they are men. And I ain't putting down women. I'm just saying there is a difference between masculinity and femininity, I believe is how you say it. There is a difference. And so the, the, the truth is, is that, is that we need to understand that men, you were created in the image of God for a purpose. It don't mean you are greater than women. You're not. Men and women were both created equal in the eyes of God. You are equal, but equal does not mean same. You were created for one image of God. Women, you were created for another image of God. And both of them bring glory to God in their respective ways. But today, we don't like that and we fight over it and everything else. And I could take you back and show you why we do that from Genesis 3. But that's not my point. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. And I want to show you, when God was handing out the uh, discipline, if you will, for their failure to be obedient to Him and they ate from the tree, this is what God said to Adam. And to Adam He said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you. See, this is why this is important. Do you know who God gave the command to to not eat from the tree? Eve was not even created yet. Adam was the spiritual leader for the home. And it was his responsibility to guide and to protect and to provide for his wife. And yet, he listened to the voice of her and he ate from the tree of which God commanded him, you shall not eat. Look what it said. You have eaten of the tree of which I commanded who? Adam, I commanded you not to eat from this tree. And I said, you shall not eat of it. So because of that, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all. And again, all this is to Adam, right? You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Go to verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Here's the point. It was the man's primary responsibility to be the provider for the family. Now, did that mean that Eve was not going to be out here in the thorns and thistles and working? No, it didn't mean that. It just meant that Adam took the primary role to provide for his family. And as a result from that, fathers, we have to take on that role and understand that you were created because guess who is your provider. When you're looking at what does Jesus and the church represent? The husband and the wife, right? That picture, does the church provide for Jesus? 
Jesus, the husband, the head, is the primary provider for this thing. But in the same time, the church is His body. And they are the hands and the feet. And they are going out and they are helping with the whole process. But again, we're talking about you have the primary responsibility to provide for this. And that's why God spoke this to Adam. And I could take you through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 through 29. I'll let you read that on your own. But the point being is that you have this picture of Jesus is the head of the church in the same way that the husband is the head of the wife, not because the husband is greater than the wife. Wrong. No, that's the problem today. That's the reason why most women are not satisfied and thankful in their their happy role of submission to the husband. Because if the husband and the father were leading in the loving servant way that Jesus does His church, a woman would be happy to submit and to follow along and be His helpmate and help. But the problem is, because of man's sinfulness, we have decided we rule over her. Right? And because of that, we have all the turmoil that we have today. And in the same way, because of that, just like God told uh, the um, woman in the garden, she told the wife, told Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. In other words, he wasn't saying this is a punishment. He's saying this is what is a result of your sin. The result is your desire is going to be to not follow his leadership And His leadership, instead of being loving and servant, is going to rule over you. And that is the result and the twistedness of sin in our lives. But as we see the the way that Jesus is the head of the church and the husband and the father represents that same thing in the family, we also see that He nourishes the church. He cherishes the church. He provides everything for the church. And again, you can see this in Ephesians chapter 5 if you go back and read it for yourself. The point being is that He is the primary provider for the family, for the wife, for the children. And I want you to think about something. It was this provision that actually made this young man come to his senses, the prodigal. Remember what he said when he came to the senses? He said, my father's hired servants have enough bread to spare. The hired servants do. In other words, he remembered his father's goodness. Well, you know what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says? Anybody want to take a guess at it? Do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and His forbearance and His patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to do what? It is the goodness of God that you see that actually leads you into repentance. The same thing that happened to this prodigal right here. He remembered the kindness. He remembered the forbearance of his father. He remembered the patience of his father. And because of all the kindness of his father, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father. And that's exactly what it is meant to do. And so, again, fathers, when you provide and when you are providing things like kindness, forbearance, patience, and you are providing all the needs that your family needs, I, I, I don't even if it hurts you, 
You do what you have to do because it is your responsibility to do so. And the truth of the matter is, it ought to be a happy responsibility for you to do it as it was for the examples in my life and my wife's life, our loving fathers. And so I celebrate my father today for being that great provider in my family uh, for me and my, my siblings. The second thing comes from verse 12 in Luke 15 as well. This father lovingly disciplines his children. Notice it says that this father divided his property between him. Now listen, how many of us fathers, if your children come to you and say, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me all your stuff that I'm supposed to get anyway. How many of y'all are going to think, yeah, that's a good idea. Let me just divide it out. Now, the truth of the matter is, he's probably going to need to find a dentist and an um, orthodontist here soon. Probably not going to bode well for him. But that's not what this father does. This father divides his property between his sons and he gives it to him. I see this as loving discipline because... Again, you're going to see where the Heavenly Father has done that for us because that's what we've done. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, here's what they said. Remember, what was the tree? What was it called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in other words, the knowledge of good and evil. Before they ate from this tree, who did they have to look to for every decision to determine what was good and what was evil? All they had to do was follow God. Listen to God. And guess what they said to God when they ate from the tree? We don't need you to tell us right from wrong. We don't want you to make our decisions for us. And instead, I can decide for myself what's good and what's bad. I want to live my own life. Just give me your stuff and you stay out of the way. Now, did I exaggerate that in any way? And is that not anybody in here ever raised teenagers? Some of you saying, I got preteens, I got five-year-olds that act that away. That's right. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want you in my life. I can decide for myself what is good and what is bad. I don't want you. Get out of my life. I wish you were dead. Just give me your stuff. And that is the same thing that this, this son did to his father the same thing we do to our heavenly father. But here's what the father does. He divides the property and says, okay, go ahead. Sometimes we have to learn from our own mistakes, don't we? And sometimes that's lovingly disciplined. Now, did this father know for certain? Now, again, God, yes. But an earthly father, is there any way this earthly father knew for certain you know why he's sitting on the porch every day waiting, looking down the road? Because he don't know if his son's going to learn his lesson or not. But he loves him too much to just let him continue to live in that kind of light. And so his hope is that when he does get in the hog pit, he'll remember and he'll come home. That's his hope. And that's the same thing that God has done for us. Look at Romans chapter... Um, 1 verse um, 24. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. I'm skipping a few on you, Nathan, but I'll go back to those. <clears throat> I'm sorry. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, I can basically tell you what it says. Well, there it is. Therefore, what God do? Now here's what the previous verse before that said. They didn't want to acknowledge God. They didn't want God's ways. They didn't want God telling them what to do or not to do. They didn't want to honor God. They didn't want to give God thanks. They had their own lusts of their own hearts. And so here's what God said. Okay, I'm going to give you up to the lust of your heart. I'm going to give you up to impurity, to the dishonoring of your bodies. You ever wondered why the world is the way it is today? Let me explain to you something. You know why I believe what the Bible has to say? Because the world proves it. The world proves it. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Look at uh, verse 26. We'll skip over it for sake of time. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So He gave them up to impure hearts, He gave them up to dishonorable passions. Finally in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what did God do? God gave them up to a debased mind to to do what ought not to be done. In other words, just like this father here said, okay, I'm going to divide this property to you. Go ahead. I want you to see what it's like in that far country. I want you to see what happens whenever you don't have my knowledge of right and wrong, when you don't want my rules, when you don't want to do things the way that I'm trying to teach you. You're going to eventually learn, hopefully, that I love you. And that's why I do this. And so what we see here is loving discipline. Loving discipline. Now, there's a few scriptures that I want to point out to you that the Bible has a lot to say about this. In Proverbs chapter um, 13... And verse 24, look at what these have to say. I've got Nathan out of order, so y'all, y'all be patient with him. Whoever spares the rod, what does he do? He hates his son. doesn't love his son. He hates him. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Look with me if you would at... Uh, Revelations chapter 3, um, verse 19. Revelations chapter 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. (laughs) No. Really? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Finally, and there's many more, but I'll just end with these. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13. Look at what this has to say. Do not withhold discipline from a child if you strike him with a rod. He won't die. Now let me explain something to you. Because this is where most of us fathers get it wrong. I'm talking about 
loving discipline. How many of us as fathers, though, usually don't discipline until we're angry? I mean, I've been guilty of that. And I I tell you, I've, I've learned a lot from my own father. And yet I still catch myself sometimes. I just am patient, I'm patient, I'm patient, I'm patient, and then, okay! That's not loving discipline. He's talking about loving discipline right here. Discipline that is meant that I'm, I really am doing this, not because I'm mad at you. Now, did this father have every right to be mad? You better believe he had every right to be mad. But instead, he loved his son so much that he responded in a way that he didn't have to respond. Did he have to give his son that stuff right then? No, he didn't. And so this is loving discipline from a father, the same thing that he does toward us. And fathers, you carry the primary role in discipline. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, so I can prove this to you. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, he says, Children, obey your what? Parents. Who are parents? Father and mother, right? So obey your parents. Why? Because this is right. Alright, keep going with me. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that's the promise, and that you may live long in the land so your daddy don't kill you. All right. And then notice, now it stops from mothers and fathers and who does he go to? Now it's not parents, it's fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the what? Discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So again, what you see, fathers, you as the head, you carry the primary role of the discipline. The same way the father reproves those that he loves, your responsibility is to be. Now, does that mean that mama can't whip her children? No, it does not. She is still the helpmate. She still has a responsibility. But let me explain something to you. If your children grow up to be heathens, or I'm going to say this word, y'all can send me emails or fire me afterwards, hellions, whatever y'all want to call it. If your children grow up and they, and it's because you did not discipline them, when it stands, when you stand before God, He's not going to say, hey wife, come here. I have something to discuss with you. You know who He's going to call first? The Father. Just like in the garden. Did He call Adam? I mean, did He call Eve first? He said, Adam, where are you? And here comes Adam. In other words, you have the responsibility. Now, you will give an account for your success in it or your failure in it. So again, I hope what you... Let me tell you something. My daddy didn't get a lot of things right, but now he knew how to discipline. I'm just telling y'all, some of y'all kids don't even know what a whipping is. That's just the truth. I paddle my son and I discipline pretty good, but he don't have a clue what a whipping is. Daddy took that verse, beat him with a rod, because he won't die. He took it to heart. He took it to heart. All right? And so, um, so fathers, listen, you have a responsibility to lovingly discipline your children, and I pray that you get it right. If you're one of those fathers that finds yourself going into anger before you do that, or maybe you don't discipline at all. There are some fathers today that don't believe in spanking. 
get your butt up to this altar and let me kick you first, and then we're going to pray, all right? I'm just telling you, that uh, that's just nonsense. But anyway, there is a way to discipline your children, and you need to make sure you are lovingly disciplining your children. It's your responsibility. All right, Luke chapter 15. I'll go through these next ones a little quicker. The father teaches his children about sin. Look at verse 18 through 19 of chapter 15 in Luke. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, it's one thing, fathers, for you to teach your children about your standard of right and wrong. Because how many of you know you've got a standard of right and wrong? The world has a standard of right and wrong. Right now, they say, okay, well, I don't believe God is this, and I don't believe God is this, and if God is really this, and He's not my God, well, you know what? You're probably right. You're probably right. He, he, he's, he, he's not your God. But let me tell you something. He is who He says He is, whether you like it or not. And so, yes, you may have a standard of right and wrong. And many of you fathers will try to raise your children up in what you understand is right and wrong. But notice what this um, man said here. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In other words, it's not just your standard of right and wrong. I have sinned against God. A good father raises their children up to understand what God requires of them. Not just what you think is right or wrong. And I'm just going to tell you something. There is no better place to do that than in the church. Yes, you are required to do it at home as well. And then you have a helpmate that is beside of you that helps you together to be able to do that. In the Old Testament, the Jews were told in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe it is, that when you wake up, you talk about the things of God. When you lay down, you talk about the things of God. When you're working, you talk about the things of God. No matter what you're doing, you just talk to your children about the things of God. The problem of it is most of us are still living like this prodigal, wasteful living, and we're more concerned about teaching our children how to love the world. Now, does that mean that God don't want us to enjoy His blessings? No. But let me tell you something. we got to get our priorities right, Father. we got to understand that I don't want my children to grow up to be in love with God's blessings so that they want Him dead and all they want is His stuff. I want my children to grow up in love with the Creator. Because all of this other stuff does nothing more than reflect who He is. You love to go to the beach. How many of y'all love to go to the beach? I do too. Well, not really. I'm lying. Sometimes. But here's the point. No matter what it is you love, you love the mountains, you love the Grand Canyon, no matter what it is, you love it because it is a reflection of Him. You look at that and you go, wow! And you bask in it and you sink your toes down in the sand, and you let the warmth of the sun hit, and the sound of the waves, and all of that creation is nothing more than a reflection of who He is. So in other words, if you enjoy that, what do you think it would be like to be in His presence? 
All that is is just reflections. But we are raising our children to say, I want His stuff. I don't want Him. Fathers, you have a primary responsibility to teach your children about God and about what He requires of us and about sin. Next, the father is compassionate toward his children. Listen to this very closely, y'all. No matter how much shame his children's sin has brought him. How much shame do you think this child has brought his father? Y'all have no idea. If you knew Jewish culture, and I don't have time to explain it to you, this son has brought his father so much shame. But look at verse 20. We'll go through this quickly too. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and did what? Felt compassion. You know what compassion is? Compassion is to see a need in someone and have a desire to fix it. To do something about it. His father didn't see his son and all the shame that he brought and went, <laughs> yeah, thought you'd learn your lesson. By the time you come dragging your tail back here, I told you that you're going to blow it all. And now, what are you coming home with? Where's my stuff? Is that what the father did? No. He didn't say, you have brought so much shame upon me. No. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. That brings me to my last point. My last point, the father expresses his love for His children. Look at verse 20 again through 23. And He arose and came to His Father, but while He was still a long way off, His Father saw Him, felt compassion, ran, embraced Him, kissed Him, and the Son said to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before You. I'm no longer worthy to be called Your Son. But the Father said to His servants, Bring quickly the best robe. I wish I had time to go through all these to understand, so you understand what the best robe is to, to what he what he brought him. But here's here's my point of this one. My dad, he was a good dad. He was. Um, he provided. Um, he did the best he could, um, but he wasn't perfect. And I'm not either. But um, my dad wasn't a person that displayed his emotion toward us, or at least not toward me. I don't know. My sisters may have a different story. I only remember one time in my life. Now, this is what I remember. I don't know if there was some I don't remember. But I only remember one time in my life where my dad told me that he loved me. One time. My dad wasn't one that hugged me a lot. We were just work. I mean, it was just what we did. Uh, I don't know if my dad has ever kissed me on the cheek. Um, I'm sure maybe when I was a baby prop. I'm sure, you know. But I don't remember any of that. But here's what I learned from the perfect father. A father is somebody that expresses his love for his children. I tell Austin 20 times a day, I love you, son. I love you. I hug him. I kiss him. I um, I, I tell him I'm proud of him. You know, I, I make sure that I express to him. Even these servants knew how much he loved his son. Nobody had to sit there and say because we've said it a lot about my dad, and I'm not putting my dad down. I'm not doing that. I promise you. I had a good dad. Okay, 
I did, and I'm thankful for the dad I had. That's Well, but that's, that's my point. We say a lot of times, he didn't have to say it, we just knew it. Well, we say that, and maybe that's true for some, it's not true for me. I want to know. I want you to tell me. And that's the thing that I want to get across to you fathers today. And that's, that's one thing that I have learned from my dad. My dad taught me that. And that's why I do that today. And so I want to try to take the perfect father and give you that example and tell you, maybe you're that dad. Listen, you can still teach your men to be men and still tell them you love them. You can still teach your men to be men and kiss them on the cheek. You can still teach your men to be godly good men and still show emotion. You know, I was taught, you do not cry. I mean, that's just what I was taught. You do not cry. Now, I don't know what he did with my sisters, but me, you don't cry. And today, for, for the most part, I'm thankful for the family that God has put me into because for the most part, I was an emotional rock. Nothing. Nothing broke me. Now, as I've gotten, uh, because of people like Eddie and, and Chasty and, and this church, let me just tell you that, before I came to this church, I didn't hug nobody. <laughs> Y'all want a hug? <laughs> before I came to this church, I ain't going to kiss nobody on cheek. How many of y'all How many of y'all? I come by when I hug you, I kiss you on your head or I kiss you on your cheek or something? I mean, and I learned that from the expression of love that God's people give each other. And so I want you to understand that, fathers, you can still teach your children, but I want you to know, your children, I don't want you going to your grave and your children having to say, well, he never really told me but I just knew it. And, and maybe that's true. But guys, tell your children you love them. Tell them. Hug them. Embrace them. Kiss them. Do whatever you have to do so that your child knows. you think there's any doubt in this son's mind that his daddy loved him? When he was in the hog pit, do you think there was any doubt in his mind that his daddy loved him? No. None. And so, I think we can learn from that example and understand that we need to be raising our children in a way that my children know I love them. And not only my children know, but those servants knew. That man loves his sons. And so I pray today that you can learn from those examples as well. So again, in closing, that's the end of it. This is the perfect father, guys. All right? You're going to fall short in a lot of these areas. I, I can tell you the ones I fall short in. I, I, I don't want to, but I can. I fall short in a lot of these areas, but I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to start making the corrections to be more like Him. And it is my prayer today that you as fathers, that you will be able to learn from these examples and see areas that you can put on so that you can be more like your heavenly Father is toward you it is my prayer that you're able to celebrate your father today, that even though he didn't get it all right, I pray that he was a good father. If he wasn't a good father at all and didn't get nothing right, I pray you pray for him and ask that, that he would be this prodigal right here. If he's in the hog pit, that he'll get up and he'll come running back and he'll be changed. 
No matter what it is, I pray this morning that you're able to either celebrate your Father, you're able to pray for Him, you're able to learn from Him, or you're especially able to learn from your Heavenly Father this morning. And that's the most important thing. Again, this is the closing statement. There is no better Father than the one that you just saw right here. And that's what He will be to each and every one that will repent from their sin and get up out of their hog pit and come home. He'll see you on your way and He'll run to meet you and embrace you and kiss you and He won't say a thing about you smelling like hogs. The only thing He'll do is love you.